Welcome to Treadmill Talks with Shannon Maves, a podcast for athletes and fitness enthusiasts to pass the time during mind-numbing cardio while I use my no-bullshit coaching style to educate, inspire, and entertain. I'm your host, Shannon Maves. Now let's walk and talk. Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Treadmill Talks, the one about different training terms. My intention for this episode is to hopefully clear up any potential misunderstandings that you may have about different training terms and possibly even introduce you to some new terms that you maybe haven't ever heard before. Now, there are quite a fucking few different training terms, like an overwhelming amount, honestly, but I did my best to try to compile the terms that I think are the most important and or maybe the most commonly misunderstood. I also want to keep this episode specific to training terms, so I'm not going to go into details about anatomy terms or kinesiology terms or anything like that. If you guys want me to do an episode about that kind of stuff, let me know and I will be more than happy to do so because I fucking love anatomy and kinesiology. It is my shit. I suppose I could also do an episode about nutrition terms if you wanted me to, but I feel like I've already touched on a lot of that stuff in previous episodes. So today we are talking about training terms. And I'm going to start with a term that I personally use quite often, given that my niche is training people to optimize their physiques and compete in bodybuilding competitions, which is hypertrophy. A funny story about the word hypertrophy is that when I was first getting more and more interested in fitness and training and stuff, I 1000% thought that it was pronounced hypertrophy. because I had only read the word on paper and I had yet to hear it pronounced out loud. There's a lot of words like that, actually. Paradigm will always be read in my head as paradigm and kernel just doesn't make any fucking sense. It's spelled colonel for fuck's sake. But okay, yeah, so uh, ADD, Shannon, much? Jesus, okay. Let's reel it back in and talk about hypertrophy which is the term we use when we are referring to an increase in muscle size, which is the goal of bodybuilding and improving body composition. Hypertrophy does not necessarily mean an increase in muscle strength, though. The two terms are not synonymous. However, if you are training specifically for muscle size or hypertrophy, you will generally notice an increase in muscle strength as well. And if you are training more specifically for muscle strength, you will generally notice an increase in muscle size. They do kind of go hand in hand, but they are not the same thing. And there are different types of training for each one. Training for hypertrophy means your goal is to increase the total volume of weight over time by increasing weight sets or reps. And some of those are terms that I'm going to explain here in just a second. But training for strength means your goal is to increase your body's ability to produce more force in order to lift heavier weights. Okay, so when I was talking about that, I mentioned total volume, which is the next term that I want to go over. Total volume refers to the amount of work performed. 
you can look at total volume for a single workout or you can look at it for an entire training split by multiplying the weight used by the total number of sets and the total number of repetitions. For example, let's say that I did four sets of eight squats with 135 pounds. I would multiply four times eight times 135, which means my total volume for that exercise would be 4,320. I did use my calculator for this beforehand. I may have been a math major for a couple of years, but I promise I am not that good at quick arithmetic. <laughs> now, the concept of total volume is actually fairly important, especially if the goal is hypertrophy. Because if you recall from just a second ago, training for hypertrophy means training to increase total volume, which is basically or exactly what progressive overload is. Progressive overload is a training strategy that is used to prevent plateaus. The goal is to progressively overload the muscles so that they do not get used to a certain stimulus. And we can do this by increasing the weight or increasing the sets or increasing the repetitions, all of which will simultaneously increase the total volume. Let's say you've been doing your four sets of eight squats with 135 pounds for a while now and you just cannot add any more weight to the bar, but you want to keep progressively overloading your muscles so that you can break past this plateau. Well, there are a couple of different ways we can do this if we look at total volume, but we've already determined that four times eight times 135 is 4320, right? So if you can't add any more weight to the bar, then you could try adding more sets. Because multiplying eight reps and 135 pounds by five sets is going to be more total volume than if you were to do four sets. Or you could increase your total reps because multiplying four sets by 135 pounds by nine repetitions is going to be more total volume than eight repetitions. And if you want to get real crazy with it, you can even mix up the sets and the reps and lower the weight even because six sets of six repetitions with only 125 pounds is more volume than four sets of eight reps with 135 pounds. The math adds up. Trust me. I did it beforehand. Six times six times 125 is 4,500. And as we established, four times eight times 135 is 4,320. So it's 180 pounds more, even though the weight on the bar is less. Another way you can train for progressive overload, subsequently training for hypertrophy and increasing total volume is by increasing your time under tension. So let's say you are stuck at your 135 pound squat and you want to break past it, but for whatever reason, you want to stick to the same sets and reps. Actually, no, okay, a better example would be if you are working out with limited equipment and you don't have access to very heavy weights and you don't wanna do 5,000 sets of 100 repetitions. What you can do in this situation is increase what is called your time under tension. Time under tension refers to the amount of time that a muscle is placed under mechanical tension. Basically, it's the amount of time your body is working against the force. 
And you can increase your time under tension by slowing down the movement. Something that a lot of people need to do anyway. But it's understandable that your body wants to try to speed up strenuous activities like weightlifting to get it over with as quickly as possible. But that's why it's called resistance training. Because you are resisting what your body naturally wants to do, which is being a lazy fuck. (laughs) When you slow down the movement, though, you are placing more tension on the muscles for a longer period of time, which is another method of progressive overload. If you wanted to, you could even calculate this into your training volume. You would just have to multiply the weight times the sets times the repetitions times the amount of time it took to complete. Example, four times eight times 135 is 4320. But if we slow it down and perform each repetition with a three second lowering phase, then we get to multiply that 4320 by three. And all of a sudden our training volume just jumped up to 12,960. And I promise that when you do something like that, you are going to be like, what the fuck? This is so much harder because your total volume increased a shit ton. That's why it's so much harder. You could also increase your total volume by increasing your training frequency. If you've been doing four sets of eight squats once per week and you increase to four sets of eight squats twice per week, bam, you've just doubled your total volume with squats. You do want to be careful with this shit though, because overtraining is a real thing and you need to give your muscles enough time to recover. Please don't start doing squats every fucking day just because you're trying to increase your training volume. Rest and recovery is important. Which leads me to another term, or terms, I suppose, rest versus active recovery. Rest is absolutely imperative for making progress in the gym. You cannot just train over and over and over again without ever taking a rest day. You will hurt yourself if you don't completely burn out first. But I think a lot of people kind of blur the line between rest and active recovery Rest means you chill the fuck out and don't do any type of physical activity outside of your usual shit like walking around. Active recovery means you are doing some type of intentional light physical activity that aids in recovery by bringing blood to the muscles, helping them heal. Typically speaking, active recovery is great. Most people can benefit from doing something like yoga or going for a leisurely hike or doing something enjoyable that gets you moving without putting a ton of stress on your body. But full rest can be beneficial if you're not feeling well or if your muscles are debilitatingly sore or something. It's also good to regularly implement a full rest day for the sake of preventing burnout. I require all of my clients to take at least one full rest day off from training and cardio every week, competitors and lifestyle clients. I might have a competitor do cardio every day for a brief period of time if it is absolutely necessary to get them lean enough, but 
generally speaking, a full rest day once per week can do wonders for your progress in the gym and your mindset with training. On your other days off from training though, keeping your steps up and staying active can really help with recovery. Another recovery strategy that can be helpful is implementing deloads. A deload is a period of time where you lower the intensity of your usual training. You stick to your usual training plan, but you do less weight or less repetitions or something to lower your total training volume. I like to have my clients take deloads about every eight-ish weeks or so. I don't ever want them going more than 12 weeks without taking one, but there's also no reason for them to take a deload every single month. The frequency of your deloads and the amount you deload is going to depend on your training intensity. If you are training hard as fuck for 12 weeks straight, then you will be in need for a solid deload, which might actually mean a full week off from training entirely, or maybe just cardio and no weights or something. But if you're training with more of a normal intensity and you take a deload every month during your period, then you probably only need to back off a little bit maybe like 80% of your total volume. But like I said, the majority of my clients take deloads every eight-ish weeks or so. Sometimes six, sometimes 10, but that's usually around the time when I'm like, "Uh, yeah, you could benefit from a small break. So I'll have them take a week where they do their usual training at about 60 to 70% of their usual volume. Also, I'm starting to realize that I have been rambling for quite a while already, and you guys who are still listening are fucking awesome. So I'm going to give you one of my favorite little training secrets. I mean, it's actually not like super duper secret because I got the idea from another coach, but it's a great idea. And it's something that I wish I would have done decades ago. And a lot of people don't do this. Okay. Most people tend to take their deloads at the end of a training block which makes sense when you think about how wrecked your body usually is at the end of a training block. But here's what I like to do. I like to take a deload at the start of a new training block. Because when you start a new training block, it means that you just finished another training block. So the whole idea of your body needing more rest still applies. But this way, You can go lighter on the new movements while you're getting a feel for your new training block. And then you can work to progress upon that training block and fucking crush it on your last week of it. Another little secret that totally isn't actually a secret at all, but is super cool and interesting and something that not a lot of people seem to realize is that the next term I want to discuss is scientifically sound. And that is the concept of mind-muscle connections. A lot of people hear mind-muscle connections and they're just like, yeah, 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 whatever, because they think it's a placebo effect or something. But our brains are super fucking cool. And they actually send a signal to our muscles when we just think about them. Kind of like how our brains tell us when we want to speak or they tell us to relax our bladder muscles so that we can take a piss. There are studies proving that literally just 
thinking about the muscle you are trying to target can increase hypertrophy. And I will vouch for this because I used to have the hardest time feeling my lats work. But once I was able to find that mind muscle connection with my lats, my back workouts were taken to the next level. And there are two things that I personally like to do that have helped me with my mind muscle connections. The first one is to close my eyes and envision the muscle that I am training actually expanding and contracting through every repetition. The second one is to physically touch the muscle that I am working if I'm able to. Obviously, if I'm holding weights in both hands, I can't touch the muscles. But the next time you're doing a glute bridge or something, grab your fucking ass, close your eyes, and envision your glutes expanding and contracting and see if you can't get it to contract even harder. Thinking about the muscle expanding and contracting is basically the next term or terms that I want to go over, which are concentric and eccentric. Concentric is the term when your muscle is contracting. Eccentric is the term when your muscle is expanding. Another way to think of this is that the concentric portion is when your muscle is contracting and shortening as it works against the force. If you think about a bicep curl, the concentric portion is when you are curling the weight up and your bicep is shortening or contracting, concentric. The eccentric portion is when your muscle is lengthening as you resist the force. For a bicep curl, this would be when you are straightening your arm and your bicep is lengthening as you resist the weight on the way down. You can maybe think of this as it is elongating the muscle. Elongating, eccentric. I don't know. Those kinds of mnemonic devices have always helped me a lot when I have to remember that type of shit. Now I want to go over a couple of terms that have to do with training intensity, which are Reps in reserve versus failure, because a lot of people don't seem to understand these two, or maybe they do understand the concept, but they don't understand how to actually put them into practice. So I want to start by explaining failure. True muscle failure means that you have reached the point where your body has become so taxed that you physically cannot complete another repetition with good form. It does not mean that you're tired and it hurts and you want to stop. Your mind is going to try to get you to quit much sooner than your body actually needs you to. Hitting true muscle failure is fucking horrible. Or glorious, depending on how masochistic you are in the gym. But it's important to really understand what true muscle failure feels like to be able to understand what reps in reserve means. Reps in reserve is a method of measuring training intensity by describing how many more repetitions you could complete before you hit muscle failure. So if your goal is to train with two reps in reserve, That means that you want to complete your set once you feel like you would physically fail if you did two more repetitions. If you've never experienced true muscle failure, though, you are not going to be able to rate your exertion level with this scale, which is why there are other ways to measure training intensity, such as the RPE scale, 
which stands for rating of perceived exertion. The RPE scale is a scale from one to 10, where one is super duper easy, like you're basically just sitting on your ass watching Netflix. And 10 is so fucking hard and grueling that you're beginning to wonder if you're going to puke, pass out, or both, or maybe even die. I like to use reps and reserve to measure intensity with resistance training and RPE for measuring cardio intensity. As long as you know what failure truly feels like, then reps and reserve is a pretty accurate scale for measuring intensity during your lifts. And I found that RPE is a bit harder to measure with resistance training because of reasons like how the intensity usually gets more and more intense as you perform more and more sets and repetitions. And with cardio, you obviously can't measure using reps and reserve because you don't perform repetitions, but you can measure your perceived exertion. And this leads me to a few more terms that I want to discuss. Lists, miss, and hit cardio, which are three different cardio intensities that can be explained by using the RPE scale. Lists is an acronym for low intensity, steady state cardio. It's going to be something that is like a five or a six on the RPE scale. Like it's challenging and your heart rate is elevated more than it would be during a leisurely walk, but it's not so intense that you can't hold a conversation. Something like an incline walk would be considered list cardio. Miss cardio stands for moderate intensity steady state. It's going to be more like a seven or an eight on the RPE scale. It's quite a bit more challenging than an incline walk, and your heart rate is going to be even higher, making it harder to hold the conversation. But you should still be able to get out a few words if you needed to. Think of going on a run or something. Now, HIT cardio stands for high intensity interval training, and this is going to be a nine or a 10 on the RPE scale. Even though it is interval training, meaning that it consists of short bursts, it also consists of short rest. So your heart rate is going to be high and you cannot talk if you wanted to because your main goal is to not die. HIIT cardio is not the same as circuit training. HIIT cardio is fucking intense and should not be done for an extended period of time. Circuit training is a very general term. It can still be pretty intense, but not nearly as intense as HIIT cardio. Performing a circuit means you are doing multiple different exercises with minimal rest in between each one. This could be a mix of resistance training and cardio exercises, like maybe squats and then jumping jacks and then push-ups and then mountain climbers. You would complete each exercise one after the other after the other and rest as little as possible between each one. Once you complete all of the exercises, then you typically rest a little bit longer before doing it all over again. That is a circuit. Now, supersets, tri-sets, and giant sets are all basically different types of circuits. A superset refers to two exercises that are performed one after the other with minimal rest. A triset refers to three exercises that are performed one after the other with minimal rest. And a giant set refers to three or more exercises that are performed one after the other with minimal rest. 
These can be a mix of resistance-based exercises and cardio, but typically speaking, that's going to be a circuit, whereas supersets, tri-sets, and giant sets are all resistance exercises. Sometimes they work to train the same muscle, but sometimes they work to train opposing muscles. You can use different methods with each of them. You could train opposing muscles and do something like a push-pull superset where you perform a push-up followed by a pull-up. Or you could train synergistic muscles and do something like a push-up followed by a tricep extension. Or you could train the same muscle and do something like a bench press followed by a push-up. In addition to things like supersets and circuits, there's also a lot of other different types of training styles that also come with their own terms. I'm just going to touch on a few of the bigger ones that I personally use a lot. The first one being AMRAP. AMRAP is an acronym for as many repetitions as possible. This is where you perform an exercise with an assigned amount of weight and you perform as many repetitions as you possibly can until you reach true physical failure as many repetitions as possible, AMRAP. Another term that's a strategy that I like to use a lot is drop sets. A drop set is kind of like a superset in a way, except that you're doing the exact same exercise rather than two different exercises. You perform an exercise with an assigned amount of weight or repetitions, and then you reduce the amount of weight and immediately perform the same exercise for an assigned amount of repetitions or until failure. Different coaches will assign these differently, but if you're one of my clients, I typically write these out as something like four times eight drop. And this means that I want you to perform four sets with a weight that is challenging for about eight repetitions. And then I want you to reduce the weight slightly and perform eight more repetitions immediately after. And then you will rest before starting your next set. So it's basically like sets of 16 with a reduction of weight halfway through. You can also do something called a triple drop where you reduce the weight twice during the set. Or you can do something called running the rack where you continue to drop the weight every few repetitions until you get to the lowest weight available. Fuck, dude. Try that shit and you will be amazed at how heavy a five pound dumbbell can feel. <laughs> now, running the rack is similar to something that is known as a ladder, but a ladder means either decreasing or increasing the weight with every set. It's not done all in one set like running the rack is. And then there's also pyramid sets where you increase the weight with each set and then you decrease the weight with each set. So if you have five sets of an exercise, you would do like five pounds for the first set, 10 pounds for the second set, 15 pounds for the third set, and then you would go back down to 10 pounds for the fourth set and back down to five pounds for the fifth set, making it a pyramid. You could also do a reverse pyramid where you decrease the weight and then increase the weight. Now, I know there are still about a billion other terms that I haven't talked about, but this episode is already on the longer side and I feel like I've almost overloaded some of y'all with information. So I want to kind of wrap things up with just one more term. And you guys might kind of laugh at this term because it seems super simple and everyone thinks they understand it. But I'm telling you from experience that a lot of people do not understand this term, which is warm-up. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. Everyone knows what a warm-up is. Except that they don't. Because I see people all the time that are just going through the motions for their warm-up. And they actually aren't warming up their muscles. And that is the whole point of a warm-up. To warm up your muscles. It is meant to get blood flowing to the area you are training to help with mobility and prevent injury. And take it from my dumb ass who bulged a disc in 2019 from not warming up sufficiently before I attempted a heavy deadlift. You need to warm up. Do not just go through the motions. If you do an assigned warm up and you do not feel warm, fucking do more but keep in mind that it is just meant to warm you up it is not meant to be a working set you don't want to do too long of a warm-up that you become fatigued and then can't perform as well during your training so just a reminder to my clients who are given assigned warm-ups those are more of a guide Use them as a suggestion of what to do before you start your lifts. But if you start to get fatigued, you can cut them short. And if you don't feel physically warm by the time you finish them, then do more. I hope this episode was helpful and not overwhelming because I feel like I went over a lot, but I also feel like there's still so much more I could cover. Some of you guys probably already knew a lot of this stuff, but I also know that it was brand new information for a lot of you too. So if there's any terms that I didn't cover in this episode that you're unsure about, seriously, don't hesitate to reach out and ask me. I love connecting with you guys and I'm more than happy to help in any way that I can. And if you liked this episode, let me know because like I said, I could do more episodes like this. I mean, I didn't even cover like, muscle protein synthesis. I didn't cover self-myofascial release. Like there's so many other terms that I could still go over. But also, again, if you enjoyed it, give it a five-star rating so that we can bump it up higher to get more exposure so that other people can learn about this wonderful information too. Or take a screenshot to share to your social media, but don't forget to tag me so that I can give you love back. If you just take a screenshot and don't tag me, I might not even see it. And even if I do see it, I can't share it to my story unless you tag me. Whatever you decide to do, though, just know how much I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you for listening to Treadmill Talks. If this episode taught you something, lit a fire under your ass, or at least helped you forget how long you've been walking in place, please leave a review or take a screenshot to share on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at Shannon Maves so I can give you some love right back. And thanks again for listening to my Treadmill Talk.